When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is episode 266, I believe. Is that right? Of Red Sox Beat. I know I'm Josh Lewin. And I know the Red Sox, as of this recording, are well under 500. Sorry to put that out there, but that's just, it's a 3-7 and seven start at the time of this recording. It means the Royals and the Angels are tied with the Red Sox for being the worst team in the American League. Here's what we're going to do today. Steve Buckley is going to join us. Longtime Boston Herald writer, now at The Athletic. Chris Mazza, the one guy who pitched halfway decently in New York over the weekend, really nice dude, uh, interviewed him back in spring training, thought you'd like to hear that interview because, again, these are gold now, these spring training interviews that I thought no one would ever hear. Well, we can't get to the players now anyway. So, you know, whatever I've got from spring training, what's mine is yours. And today we'll give you some Chris Mazza. Uh, We all know the number 2.7 by now. That's what each win and loss is worth this year as opposed to other years. But how about the number 2.8? That's the number of runs the Sox have allowed in the first three innings on average this year. That is the worst in baseball. And after Austin Bryce somehow got through the first inning on Sunday night, uh, Matt Hall certainly did not do much better after that. It was a 9-7 loss at the end. They just couldn't get out Aaron Judge. Don't want to go too far into that. I do want to talk about Erod, who will not pitch this year. We'll talk to Steve Buckley about that. Jackie Bradley Jr. got off to such a nice start, but now is over his last 17 as we record this. Bogarts just had a massive Sunday night game with a couple home runs and a double. Great to see him. And Devers, too. Looks like he's starting to come around. Had some great plays defensively finally over the weekend. You know, I was just leaving Texas. I had a long run as a Texas Rangers announcer. Right when Adrian Beltre was coming in and he and Elvis Andrews became like this tag team left side of the infield that was so much fun to watch. That's what it looks like Beltre Endeavors is going to be all about now for this decade. Wouldn't it be nice if he kept them together for a whole decade? J.D. Martinez, he can't look at video in between at-bats. I think he's going crazy uh, and started the year two for 23. The Killer Peas are doing well. Peraza and Ploiecki, those guys are both hitting nicely. And Christian Vasquez, four home runs in his first five games. Only other Red Sox catcher to do that was Carlton Fisk back in 1970. All that's lovely. But the starters, other than Evaldi, their ERA is a combined 8.7, and that's a problem. Yeah, we knew there would be 113 games started to replace this year as soon as we found out that Erod was down because, of course, Porcello's in New York and not doing well. Uh, Chris Sale out for the year because of the surgery. David Price is in L.A., and he opted out anyway. So it's a lot to replace. And if Evaldi gets hurt, good night, nurse. Hey, uh, with sports coming back, your chance to bet on sports with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Let's tell you about MLB getting it cranked up here. And, of course, you can get in on the action. You've got all the odds, the futures, props for you to bet on. And Bet Online has sat down with Eddie George from the NFL, Robert Horry, seven-time NBA champ, Harold Reynolds. They've been talking about uh, what, what they're calling fandemic here, what it's like to be playing without fans. We're going to be talking to Steve Buckley about that coming up as well. 
Visit betonline.ag. Check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up. Take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses they have for you. Bet online, your online wagering experts. All right, let's go here. Let's go to Steve Buckley, who's always a great interview. It did this by phone, so it's not going to be the greatest sound quality, but those are the, the least of our worries right now. And then we'll get you to the Chris Mazza interview. We'll spend uh, 10 or 11 good minutes with him. So enjoy it. Episode 266 of Red Sox Beat. So as promised, the great Steve Buckley joining us right now by not Zoom, no, just kind of a regular phone call. That's where we are. I'd love to be standing right next to Buck, just kind of talking shop, but instead we're just doing this over the phone. Uh, Buck, obviously at 3 and 7, uh, when we are recording this, I don't know when people will actually be listening to it, but all we know is after that rip-roaring opening day, it's been hitting the earth with a moist thud ever since then for the uh, for the Red Sox. So how are you feeling about the, the Sox specifically right now? I'm going to get into how you're feeling about baseball even playing in just a bit. But uh, this looks to me like every bit of three and seven, does it not? Yeah, they are They are every much the three and seven team, which obviously takes on greater importance in a 60-game schedule. They, I mean, they're as bad as I thought they would be in that I knew, and this doesn't make me that clever, they had no starting pitching. <laughs> So now I watch for two reasons. One, I'm paid to watch and, and, and react accordingly when there's things to react about. Uh, but I also am a connoisseur. I'm a baseball lover. I like watching baseball. And I've been disappointed in the, in the play in general. The, the base running mistakes are, are horrible. And I'm, I'm running out of patience with Ron Renicki. Uh, his, oh, I like aggressive players and so forth. Yeah, I get that. We all like aggressive baseball. But when uh, you try to go to second on a ball hit directly to left field, uh, as Peraza did, and you get thrown up by a mile at second, and uh, Verdugo has made base running mistakes, Benintendi has, uh, Pilar made one, and uh, it, it, it takes the excitement out of watching the game. Uh, if If they're not interested, and I'm not saying they're not interested, but but they're not playing with a laser-like focus. So philosophically, one might ask, well, if they're not playing with a laser-like focus, why should we watch with a laser-like focus? I mean, it's a very fair question. And here we are somewhere between 16 to 20% of the way into this season now, depending on when people are actually listening to this. And I say regular season, to me that's a misnomer, Buck, because what exactly is regular about this season. Teams are being shut down for a week at a time. The Cardinals, the latest, seven-inning double-headers, universal DHs, and this runner at second base thing, which I kind of expected you to hate with, like, a white-hot passion. Uh, I, I know you've got a piece coming out about it. Uh, maybe not. Tell me tell me your thoughts about runner at second base. Well, you nailed the first part, that, that you expected me, you know, me being the traditionalist, which I'm – Really not in in some ways. Like I've lobbied for a new Fenway Park for a long time, and that that surprises some people. That I grew up in Fenway, and uh, I've been blessed with a good job that allows me to see virtually every ballpark in baseball, all the new ones. And I'd like to see one of those in Boston. Now, when it comes hmm. to the runner on second base, I did the knee jerk thing when I first heard about it. Not on my watch. I shall never let this happen because it sounded <laughs> gimmicky and hokey and so forth. But circumstances being what they are, they put that in place for the season. And I took the attitude, you know what, if, if ever you're going to try new things, let's do it in this Petri dish, which is 2020. 
And the first time I had a chance to experience it, I, I have the MLB package, and I was watching the Mets game on a Saturday afternoon about eight, nine, ten days ago, and they had that situation immediately. And, and I didn't, I didn't say like I'm going to watch this and see if it's surreal without even giving any thought. Right away, I'm thinking, you're going to bunt the runner over. Who's going to be on second base next inning? Who made the last out? Uh, what kind of strategy? What kind of pitching? And and I was into it. And it reminded me of something. And the Mets lost. They, I think they gave up three runs, and it, it didn't turn out to be as dramatic. But nonetheless, it made me think of something I've been saying for a long time. And I'll pose the question to you. And it's a rhetorical exercise, but nonetheless. What is the only sport where when the game goes to overtime, people start getting up and leave. And I'll answer it for you. It's baseball. Nobody oh. leaves football because football, it's the, you know, the, the world can come to an end if the outcome doesn't go your way. Basketball is a short overtime period. Seldom do the games go to triple and double and triple overtime. It memorably did against Phoenix in 76. We remember that. But uh, the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals. Um, and then and hockey. Hockey goes to overtime and then the shootout. And if I've been sitting in press boxes for 42 years, and when they, even if your team hits a dramatic two-out, two-run home run in the bottom of the ninth to tie the game, then the next guy doesn't get on base. The game goes to bonus frames, and you look down from the press box, and all of a sudden there are little bottlenecks at the end. It's because people are conditioned in baseball; they they accord in so much time for the evening. And they aren't prepared mentally, physically, financially, any number of reasons for overtime. And they just well, and somebody will say, "All right, let's get out of here," and people start to leave. It's the right. only sport where that happens. That in and it of itself is what makes this work for me. I I love that take. I love that we we kind of got a Garfield Herd reference in there. If you missed it, there it was. Uh, and by the way, in the athletic, that's where you can find uh, the, the complete opine here from Steve Buckley on on why he's come around on this. And I did not ask you to do that too, so there you go. No, no, no. I, I mean, uh, it's, it's a fine. I mean, everybody should have a subscription to the athletic. I firmly believe that. The uh, but, but let me riddle me this one though, Steve Buckley, because one of the other things that's being put out, and again, I, I'm with you. It's a petri dish. Let's have some fun this year. But the Yankees. Who right now, as you, as you and I talk, are seven and one. Uh, they might be fifty-nine and one before this is all done here. But they're going to have to survive a three-game playoff series in the first round, even if they're fifty-nine and one. So tell me about how you're thinking this all ends. And again, we're all crossing fingers, assuming this continues and we do have an ending. But what do you think about sixteen teams in the playoffs, which means more make the playoffs than don't, and how this whole seeding thing is going to play out? It, it is unfair the way you posed it. Uh, your scenario is not fair. But I, I, I channel my inner Dennis Eckersley here because Eck has been saying over and over, I'm not going to complain about this. Because th- there are things you can complain about, and then there are things where you say, wait a minute, it's a 60-game season. At least we're getting some baseball for now. We'll see what happens. And you look at it and you say, wait a minute, if, if you put more teams in the playoffs, that's more baseball. It's more interesting baseball. It's more compelling baseball. When I say more, I don't mean I mean additionally compelling, like more games that are compelling. So in that spirit, I'm saying, okay, bring it on. Now, is is it fair to the New York Yankees under your scenario to go 59 and one, which they won't? But I'll play along, and and then play a bottom rung team, 
and anything can happen, and especially in baseball in a three-game series. And then they find themselves. I think the St. Louis Blues one year had like 119 points in hockey, and they they lost. I think it was the Blues. I think it was 90, 91. Minnesota North Stars went to the Stanley Cup Finals uh, with a barely. Yeah, that, that sounds familiar. And and you know, not not to inject myself into this, but you know, one of my first years doing the Chargers games. You know, they're, they're 14 and two, and your right. Patriots came in there and are just whoop goodbye. You know, so it, it yeah. happens. Yeah, and then and and by a wild fluke. I covered what I think is one of the biggest upsets in football in the last 25 years. The uh, the year the Patriots went to the Super Bowl in 96, uh, they got to play Jacksonville because Jacksonville went to Denver and shocked the Broncos with, I think, Mark Burnell at quarterback. And I happened to be there because we all assumed that the Patriots would win their game and then fly out to Denver uh, to play the Denver Broncos. And I was at the Herald in those days, and they figured – well, we're going to have to have somebody out there all week anyway covering the Patri- covering the Broncos. And I volunteered. Uh, and so I flew out to do the Denver-Jacksonville game, anticipating <laughs> that I would stay there for the week. And then Jacksonville had the big upset. So, so yeah, you, you do have these upsets. And now, now those aren't quite the same here because we knew going into the season there was a playoff format in place, and, and, and upsets do happen, and upsets are what makes sports great. Uh, under this situation, it, it's uh, you, you would, in, in, a, in a perfect world, uh, a fixed number of highly ranked teams would get some kind of a buy. Uh, they're not doing that. and uh, But you know what? Don't lose. Win your games. And uh, it's, it's like the old thing, you know, should, should players uh, style on home runs and pimp and, and, you know, do the bat thing and all that stuff. And pitchers sometimes <laughs> complain about it. To which, at the end of the day, we can argue about it for seven hours. Finally, it comes down to this: if you don't want players to do that, don't give up home runs. And right. and for your fifty-nine and one Yankees, don't lose two games to a bottom bottom of the barrel team. Right. No, it, it, it's well said, well stated. And by the way, doesn't it remind you about just kind of how picky you and all the things we used to worry about really are? I mean, I, I want to ask you about. Eddie Rodriguez, for example, now. I mean, the guy's got a heart condition, right? You know, so he's got to, I mean, very understandably opt out this year because of COVID. And those are the kind of things we're talking about now. You know, we're tracking who's got COVID and is it serious. Uh, you know, suddenly bat flips don't really seem like that big a deal, do they? No, they know. And as far as Rodriguez goes, I, I wrote this in a column in The Athletic last week. Uh, it wasn't the entire column, but it was a, a couple lines within a column. When it was first announced what his condition was and Eddie Rodriguez is saying that I won't opt out, I want to play my my thought was well, no, 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 this is not your decision this is when the team needs, they should have stepped right up and said, hey, no, you're out you're done, we're not going to screw around with the heart, so you're going to sit up the rest of the season take the decision out of his hands and get that out of the way uh, they ultimately did make the decision um, and it was the right decision but you, you can't fool around with these things. And, uh, you know, listen, we, we knew going in that players were going to test positive for COVID. That, that, that was a safe bet, I think. Um, the bubble idea wasn't going to work. You, can't, you couldn't take all of Major League Baseball and put it out in Arizona where there's only that one dome stadium, and you'd have been playing at spring training sites. And uh, I read yesterday there was 108 degrees the other day out in Arizona. That that would yeah, not have been sure. 
a, a good thing, and you couldn't really do it in Florida because Florida is a hotbed of COVID right now. So the bubble idea, actually somebody mentioned to me the other day, uh, why not do it in New York if they were going to do it? Because you, you would have had ideal weather, you have Yankee Stadium, you have City Field, and you have those two lovely New York Ten League ballparks in Staten Island and Coney Island. And 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 you also you could have played at Montclair State, Yogi Berra Stadium. That's a nice little ballpark. Sure, I, I would have loved to have seen it out on, on the Cape. To be honest with you, Buck. Well, I mean, there you, you go. Yeah. Ballparks <laughs> out there. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, there's there's obviously none of those ways pass muster with Major League Baseball. So Plan B was to do it the way they are doing it, and uh, we shouldn't be terribly surprised that players are testing positive. Steve Buckley visiting with us, and so uh, one thing uh, just before we, we leave uh, kind of distractions here, the Joe Kelly suspension, I want to ask you about that, because the whole Joe Kelly mystique started as a Red Sox-Yankees thing, not as a Dodgers-Astros thing, but somehow it morphed into, you know, Joe's now a part of the Dodgers-Astros rivalry. So to me, conventional wisdom suggests that Manfred just come down with a hammer on the Astros or even on the Red Sox with the Apple Watch. I mean, frontier justice isn't really a thing if the commissioner hits it at the choke point. But that stated, uh, eight games, uh, you know, which is the equivalent of 22 now, I mean, where are you on, on the Joe Kelly suspension? Well, based on uh, local Twitter, uh, I'm in the minority on this one, but I had no issue with the suspension. Um, I wouldn't have minded if it was even longer. Joe Kelly was not the right messenger. He wasn't with the Dodgers at the time. In point of fact, he was playing for the Red Sox in 17 and 18 when they got their hands slapped twice, uh, the, the, the watch thing in 17, and then, of course, whatever shenanigans they were doing in 2018. He clearly benefited from that to the degree that he winds up with a World Series ring. And now he's with the Dodgers, and he's the messenger to punish the Houston Astros for what happened uh, right. several years ago. So that, that's the first problem here. And the second one, which I guess should be the first problem, is that he threw the guy's head, threw, threw behind a, run, a batter. And uh, we, we all know that's not what you do in baseball. This, this, listen, I, I'm a history buff. I, I, I go to Civil War battles. I go to the weirdest places. And I've been to Cleveland. I've been to Lakeview Cemetery, mainly to see James Garfield's tomb. Uh, the president who was well, who dead. among us has not done that? I mean, come on. Yes. <laughs> Sarcasm noted. And uh, uh, Ray Chapman is buried there. He's the only player in baseball history to die as a result of being hit by a pitch. Uh, Carl Mays, I think in 1920, was it? 21? And yeah. uh, he got hit by a pitched ball. Now, he didn't have a helmet on. Carl Mays was a submariner, and, you know, the circumstances were different. The ball probably... You know, it looked like a big hunk of dirt back then. You couldn't, you know, it might have been late in the day. All those intangibles were in place. But a, a, a thrown baseball by a major league athlete can do terrific things. It can also do horrible things. And it, it is carved in stone that you don't throw behind a batter or up above the uh, shoulders. That's just not done. And, and when that happens, and when it's done for a reason, look, pitches get away all the time. I recognize that. But but when it's done with intent, as it clearly was here, it, it's totally 100% wrong. And people in Boston who were tweeting, uh, yeah, way to go, Joe. Yeah, you're the man. Uh, listen, I know he had the fight with the Yankees a few years ago and he, and, and he sat out in the bleachers after he got – that was fun. That was good old-fashioned sock Yankee stuff. And, and I didn't have an issue with that then. But 
because of what happened a couple of years ago, Joe Kelly doesn't get a get-out-of-jail card the next time he does it, particularly right. when he does it for all the wrong reasons. So uh, the suspension didn't bother me a bit. Buck, let me finish up with you on something you wrote a week ago, because as we look at you know what's happening in empty ballparks, and the Red Sox just got swept in one, the Yankees had their way, obviously, the Aaron Judge show, we didn't really even have time to get into that. But pitching in an empty ballpark, that, that can't be easy. Some Red Sox aren't pitching well, period. Uh, you know, there are some diamonds in the rough. We're going to talk to, uh, to Chris Mazza in just a little bit. He had a really nice two or three innings the other day. You root for guys like that. But you had a thing about a guy pitching in, in pretty close to an empty ballpark. Dave Moorhead threw a, a no-hitter back in the 60s, uh, a very, uh, shall we say, unpopulated Fenway. Can, can you take us through that a little bit? Well, I mean, the peril isn't exact because there were people there, um, and, and there wasn't a pandemic raging all around us. But I wrote this more for fun than anything else. But Dave Moyer did, in point of fact, pitch a no-hitter in September of 1965 uh, against the Cleveland Indians. Oddly enough, the opposing pitcher was Louis Tiant for the Indians. And hmm. I got a hold of Dave. He's 74, I think, or 77, and he lives out in California. And I got him on the phone, and... He, he took me through it, and there were 1,271, I forget the exact number of fans, and most of them were seated between the dugouts behind home plate with a smattering of fans behind the bullpens and the bleachers. And I checked with the Red Sox. Between the dugouts, there are roughly, and this is by today's configuration, there, were, there are roughly 11,000 seats, and there weren't that fewer than that back then because I've added seats in the front row and stuff. So even even with most of them clustered behind the plate, there were still 1,240-whatever fans sitting in an area where 11,000 could have been seated. So I got him on the phone, and he said he was definitely aware that there was no crowd there that day. And you have to, and he said, speaking for himself, when I go into that lineup, all I see is the Met. 80,000 or nobody, all I see is the Met, and the players need to think along those lines. Uh, a couple of trivia items to this. Uh, just to illustrate that nobody went to the game that day, Dave Moorhead's own wife didn't get there until the sixth <laughs> inning. Uh, they were living up in Peabody. She drove down. She had two girlfriends who lived in Brookline. They went out and got lunch. They sashayed over to Fenway, the three of them, around the sixth inning. And I talked to her and one of the women who was in attendance that day uh, with Dave Moorhead's wife. And uh, so Dave Moorhead's own wife missed most of his no-hitter. And, and number two, the no-hitter got overshadowed by the fact that in the fifth inning, uh, Tom Yawkey called the sports writers into the back room to announce they were firing Pinky Higgins as general manager and naming Dick O'Connell as his replacement. So you actually had moments during Moorhead's no-hitter when even the writers covering the game weren't watching <laughs> because they were in the back room uh, <laughs> talking to Tom Yawkey. And one more thing, this was in late, in, late September. Uh, then they came back. They went on the road. They came back home. Their final home game of the season, uh, I think against the Angels on September 26th or 27th, the attendance was 408. That's the announced wow. attendance for their final home game of the 1965 season. And then, of course, 66, Dick O'Connell starts. You know, they, they didn't play much better in 66, but Dick O'Connell began building the team that in 1967 would be the impossible dream. Red Sox, they drew 1.6, 1.7 million and have been packing Fenway ever since uh, because of the well, impossible dream. But uh, but just two years before that, they couldn't give tickets away. 
This is the kind of great stuff you get if you have the athletic subscription. This is why we love Steve Buckley. Buck, next time we talk, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll be almost through a season. We'll have better Red Sox news in general. But until then, uh, keep positive, keep doing your great writing, and, and thanks so much for joining us here on Red Sox Feature. Always appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That is Steve Buckley. And we, by the way, will get you right now to our Chris Mazza interview. We're trying to keep it positive. So Chris, uh, who did pitch very well Saturday at Yankee Stadium, the only guy all weekend it seemed like to do that. Who the hell is this guy? Where did he come from? We have a spring training interview. We're able to roll in for you right now. So first things first, uh, pronounce the last name because I'm sure it's like 50-50. People get it right, get it wrong. Yeah, it's uh, Mazza, actually. Uh, Not like a Mazda car. No, no, no. Trust me, I had Little League games where they did announcing and they said Chris Mazda. I was like, there is no D in my name. And a lot of people say Mazda, which, I mean, I don't really correct them, but it is Mazda. All right, well, point of order. We've got to make sure we get that right. So you grew up in California. Uh, tell me about that. I mean, obviously, when you, when you get to grow up in great weather and you love baseball, that's a nice mix. But was it all baseball? Were you skateboarding? What else were you doing? Oh, no, I played everything. Um, Growing up, baseball obviously was my first sport. Played soccer, played, uh, did swimming, played football. So I stopped playing soccer once I was able to play football. Uh, what did you play in football position? Uh, running back. Did you like it? Oh, I loved it. I, lo- I love football. I uh, played on defense. I played free safety. Um, and then in high school, I did football, baseball, and wrestling. Um, but I love bowling, love playing golf. I, I, I think that's one sport I wish I could have played in high school was golf. Uh, well, you can't play them all, right? I mean, you got to be able to no, compartmentalize. Exactly, exactly, yeah. But uh, golf and baseball at our school were same season, so. Oh, got it, okay. So that was tough. So I got to ask you first about the football. Who Do you follow a particular team, particular player? Who are your guys? Oakland Raiders. See, I did the Chargers games for 13 years, so you and I might be going to war. But <laughs> you uh, you probably saw some really good and really bad if you were a Raider fan growing up. I've seen a lot of bad. <laughs> a lot of bad, a little bit of good. You know, I know I'm with the Red Sox now, so you know I'm still heartbroken on the tuck rule in 2001. I, I'm so glad you brought it up because I didn't want to have to. But you... Um, you, you, you Perceive that that might have been a raw deal, maybe. Oh yeah, we got we, we got screwed. If you're from Northern California, I wouldn't expect any other answer. Exactly. But. And then uh, <laughs> next year we go to the Super Bowl and Gruden kicks our butt. Yep. And then how old were you then? What was that 2002? Yeah. I would have been 13. That's a tough age for sports heartbreak, right? 12, because because that's your voice, right? I mean, you're oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. What about uh, college? Do you follow college, too, or is it mostly mostly pro? Uh, it was mostly pro. I, re- I really didn't get into college football until I was probably, like, 14 years old, and my best friend's family got me into it, and they were huge Miami Hurricane fans. Oh, wow. So okay. I watched the Canes. Canes guy. It's, right. it's weird. I know. It's weird growing, yeah, being, so close to, yeah. being so close to Cal and Stanford. Um, but, I mean, it – College football, I, I just never really got into, but now I'll always watch the Hurricanes when they play. So I, I got to ask you, too, you know, when we, when we talk about uh, 
the whole growing up in California thing. Was there anything indoors at all, or were you? I mean, I know Northern California is not all sunshine all the time. I get that, but it doesn't snow. So were you just always looking to do something outside? Oh yeah, uh, we were outside a lot. Um, I can't. I grew up in a small town in Clayton. Um, we have five acres out where oh, we wow. live. Uh, live on the base of Mount Diablo, kind of like in a valley. So it was one of those things where, you know. It, at sometimes it would be 110 yeah, right. out there, and then sometimes it would be 32 degrees because the heat gets trapped in the valley, right, and then right. when it's cold, the cold gets... It would be colder over here in our town than it would be in San Francisco, even if they're getting the water off the bay and chill. Right. Um, one thing I, I want to ask you just about... I, I'm kind of skipping here. You know, we were talking about your childhood. I want to take you right until you get to be in your late 20s and and you're you have to be wondering is this ever going to happen for me right i mean you haven't been in the major leagues yet can you take me inside that mindset a little bit because it, i mean it must have been glorious to, to get to the mets and, and pitch against the braves as well as you did and i'm sure that's a happy memory you're always going to have but what was, what was the lowest moment what, what was the point at which you, you second guessed it if you ever did at all like man i just don't know if this is going to happen um Probably after I got released by Miami early. I got so in twenty seventeen I got stuck in double A the whole entire season. And I had a three oh one ERA. And you weren't like twenty two anymore either, right? No, I was twenty seven and it was my it was actually my first full season of starting. And and then the next year we get a whole new group of guys coming in. And that, and that was one of my things that I kind of, it's the luck of the draw, I guess, where after I left Minnesota, after I got released by Minnesota, every year I had a whole new group of front office or something right. coming in. You had to prove yourself all over again, it, right? It was like proving yourself all over again. And, you know, I got invited to big league camp in 18 and did all right. Um, I know Maddenly was had talks about having me part of their plans that season and then all of a sudden in May I'm getting released and they didn't even know I got released for a couple weeks. Wow. And um, and then then it was like no phone, I'm getting no phone calls or anything especially after the year I had the year before I, I thought something was happening I knew I knew age might be playing a little bit into it. Um, Who do you turn to at that point for a little support? I mean, is it an agent? Is it a family member? Who kept you from being really low, like destructively low? Um, I, I don't know if it was really one person. Uh, it was... I never really had that feeling that it was over. <laughs> so it was one of those things where, you know, you, you get so close and you have teammates you know I, I had a lot of teammates with Miami that I think Miggy Rowe was one of them and he, he was like don't ever forget you belong up here that's cool and Cam Maven said the same thing uh Martin Prado so like hearing some of those guys say yeah. that you know it you really take it to heart and you know it's one of those things you just kind of got to keep on pushing I know I still had something left in the tank um Go play indie ball for a month back home, just stay in shape, see if somebody calls, and 
you know, it, it almost felt like I was getting blackballed, which I, there's no reason for that to happen. But Well, but I'm sure that's, that's a, an agreeable, understandable feeling, though, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was just me and my agent at the time, it was just, we both thought it was really weird that, you know, I get no phone calls, and then he get a phone call that, you know, we're waiting to see if something happens in August, like guys getting called up mm-hmm. for September call-ups, they need a spot. And then went over to the Atlantic League, threw really well over there, still still no calls. And got coaches over there calling the guys like, hey, we got a guy here that down 20 innings and giving up one run, getting right. no phone calls or something like that. And then Tijuana had contacted me, and I was about to go play over there. And the day that I was going to sign my contract, Seattle called, and I ended up signing with Seattle. Wow. So then, and not to fast forward too quickly here, but you get to the Mets, they have a need, and when you got on that mound in Atlanta, and I can't even imagine what that must have felt like, but what was, was there any kind of um, so there to it? I mean, like, I'll show you guys, or was, it, was there no vindictiveness, just, just joy that night? Uh, a lot of joy. Definitely a lot of joy. Um, the invictiveness, that's kind of been like my whole career, playing with the chip on my shoulder because you know, when I was younger, I was always like the runt. <laughs> um, You've always had that kind of I'll show you guys kind of thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's always it's always kind of had that chip on the shoulder, like getting told you're too small, like you're good, but you're not good enough. And it's one of those things that you just set out to always prove people wrong. Um, it's one of those things. I think I graduated. I started my senior year in high school at five seven. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. During baseball season, I went from five seven to five ten. Freshman year of college, I was six one. You can hurt your knees doing that, growing that fast. Yeah, they still hurt. They still. Mm-hmm. I still get growing pain aches in the knees and my back. Um, and then junior year, I was six four. Wow. I mean, I, I played shortstop my entire life, and I got drafted as a pitcher. That's crazy. I think I threw like 15 innings in my junior year as a closer because I told my coach I wanted to close. And kind of just took off from there. So the last one for you, uh, assuming that everything is going to go brilliantly and you're going to have a long career in the Red Sox organization, who do you share that with now? Who's in your, your inner circle, your circle of trust, whether it's family or friends or loved ones? Who's, uh, who's your, your tight group? Uh, I mean, all my best friends at home, my fiance, her family, my family. Uh, ex-players, teammates. I mean, it's not. I've, I haven't really run into too people. Uh, too many people I don't get along with. Seems like you bring people into that circle pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. I. I'm very trustworthy of people, which kind of hurt me sometimes. <laughs> but hey, you live and you learn. Yeah, for sure. But that's on us. It's our our <laughs> charges here. To make sure no, nobody mazdas you or anything else <laughs> like that. Hey, uh, thank you so much, buddy. Continued success to you. Thank you. Thank you. Very cool of Chris Mazza to have joined us. And uh, you don't need me to tell you. I mean, it won't be surprising that when he did pitch as a Red Sox finally and, and get out there at Yankee Stadium, he tweeted right after about it, a warm little Valentine of Red Sox Nation. And we hope that's what all this has been as well. Just a little something-something for you, a little... Uh, August Valentine, not a Bobby Valentine, but, but an August Valentine, just to kind of show you we're here, we're not going anywhere. Hopefully the Red Sox can kick it into gear now because it looks like we are going to keep on playing baseball. That's what the commissioner has to say 
at this point. Stay safe, stay healthy, be good to each other. This is Josh Lewin. Talk to you next time. It's Red Sox Beat from CLNS.